We want to talk about Christ and relating to him this morning. One announcement I did want to make. Some of you know Bobby Ann Morgan or knew Bobby Ann Morgan. There's a memorial service for her on Saturday, the 27th at 11 a.m., and that's at Bloomingdale Bible Church. So we interact with God's Word this morning, some thought questions, not looking for a response from you. What must take place if salt in a shaker is to make food tasty? What must take place if oil in a can is to be effective in an engine? What must take place if hairspray in a can is to hold hair? What must take place if ketchup in a bottle is to make your food tasty? What must take place if a child is to mature into a godly adult? What must take place if a young man is to mature into a Christ-like husband? What must take place if a new believer in Christ is to learn how to live in dependency upon Christ in daily life? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark Chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 13 through 19. Mark chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee. And his brother John, to whom he gave the name Bernerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We find that there have been a rapid-fire sequence of things taking place in chapter 2, verse 1, and chapter 3, and verse 12, depicting his authority, that is, the authority of Christ in public settings. We now find that there is some shift, shift in the sense that we begin a theme in Mark That is Jesus' ministry to the insiders. He still has authority, he still ministers, but he selects 12. And as we look at this portion of scripture, remember that Christ is unique, he's one of a kind, he's God's son, he listens to the Holy Spirit, he's a father who is pleased with him, and other items that already are mentioned to this point in the text of Mark. But we find that Jesus goes into a mountainside in verse 13. And as you think about the mountains, in Mark, the mountains are sites of revelation and significant junctures in Jesus' ministry. In chapter 6, 46, chapter 9 and verse 2, chapter 11 and verse 1, chapter 13 and verse 3, chapter 14 and verse 26, all talk about Jesus being in a mountain. And some significant things happening. 
Mountains also in the Old Testament, particularly in relation to Moses, are places where significant events take place. So Jesus is on a mountainside and he calls to him who he wanted, and they came to him. To call means to summon, to invite. So he calls those that he wanted, and they came to him. And it's interesting to notice that Jesus and how he ministered is different than the religious system in that day. In that day, you would have a rabbi. He did not call disciples, but would have been chosen. The rabbi would have been chosen by those who followed. Whereas with Jesus, he was the sole an exclusive subject of the call. We find that Jesus, or I'm sorry, in the rabbis, his person did not supersede the Torah. A rabbi always had to appeal to the Torah. First five books of the Old Testament. With Jesus, nothing, not even the Torah or God, is presented as more important than Jesus. The Rabbonic disciples saw their tutoring as a means of mastering the Torah. Whereas with Jesus... He is not to be the means to ulterior good, but he himself is the final good. The Rabonic disciples saw their tutors a model of what they themselves might become. Whereas with Jesus, the question is, what will Jesus make of his disciples? So Jesus calls who he would, and what does he do? He appoints 12. And the word appoints is an interesting word. I think it would be better translated, in light of study I have done, would be better translated, he made. He made 12. To appoint is to select from something that is already existing. That's an existing lot and raise them to a different status. To make means to bring into existence. Jesus is bringing into existence something new. It's similar to Genesis 1, when God created the heavens and the earth from nothing. The 12 are a new creation. Christ is doing something new, something different. Discipleship does not consist... in what disciples can do for Christ, but in what Christ can do through them. He calls 12, something new, different than the rabbinical system, and he designates them. He signifies their being named apostles. Again, we're recalling a creation theme where Adam named animals. The right to name belonged to the superior, making one over them. So here we have Jesus going to the mountainside. He calls whom he wanted. He appoints. He makes them and then designates them as apostles. 
Now, as you think about the call of Jesus, the call of Jesus was to be with him and also to send them out. And the sending out was to preach and to drive out demons. Now, the idea of being with is there's an exchange of soul. There's word for word, breath for breath, emotion for emotion, a will for a will. It's kind of like my when I was a kid. I came to know mom and dad. And overall, I came to know mom and dad so well that basically I got everything that I ever, I wouldn't say everything, but almost everything that I asked of mom and dad I got. Because I knew what not to ask for. I knew dad and mom's will, their thinking, what they wanted to give. And I could say, Dad, I want to go see Ruth Ann. Can I borrow the car? And Dad would say, yeah. If I said, Dad, I want to borrow the car to go out with some guys that are really aren't of good character, and he would, I knew not to ask that, he would say no. So here we find 12 are selected to be with Jesus to know him, to walk with him, to experience him. They're called to be with him. That's very significant in the balance of Mark. But he also called them that he might send them out. So they're with him as they get his heartbeat, how he thinks, how he responds. They're going to be sent out to preach. That's proclamation, public discourse, and to cast out and have the authority to drive out demons. The authority that he had over demons, he was going to give that to the twelve. And as they're sent out to preach, they would also have authority over demons. Now it's interesting he selects twelve. Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, James, and John. You will find that Peter always appears as the first disciple in any list in Scripture. Like he's kind of the one that goes ahead. Peter, James, and John are listed many times. They seem to be kind of an inner circle. And it's interesting that James and John are called sons of thunder. You know, the loud ones, the hot-tempered pair. And as you think about those two men, you will find that in the Gospels, that character quality came through. Matthew is apparently Levi, the tax collector in chapter 2, you know, with whom Jesus called to be a follower and with whom he had a meal. Andrew, Philip, Thomas, and Judas Iscariot, we only hear of occasionally. Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, we don't really know a lot about them. But I think there's some things we can understand as we reflect on the 12. Knowledge of the 12 is meager, very meager. What they contributed to the advancement of the gospel is not really known. It reminds us of the fact that the church is indebted to labors 
of those for the most part remained unknown and unnamed. That generally is true in Christianity. As far as we know, none of the apostles came from the Jewish religious establishment and leadership. You know, they're common folks. Those called and trained by Christ were not untarnished neurotopia society. They had failures. Remember, one of them was Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. That's mentioned in the text. Christ called 12, who had all kinds of issues, who had all kinds of troubles, who had not arrived, but he used them. That kind of gives hope for us. You know, sometimes we look at people who come to faith in Christ and we say there's really no hope for them. It's not an issue of where they are. It's an issue of what Christ at work in them can do in their lives. What is the point of the passage? I'm of the conviction, as a son of God who has authority, Christ is free to call people to himself and equip them for ministry. He can create something new. He called 12. He made them apostles. He designates them as apostles to be with him, to be sent out to preach and to cast out demons. Number of applications, I think, coming from this passage and the gospel mark overall. We'll cover one this morning. The best and the most effective equipping for ministry that is daily living 24-7 is accomplished by sharing life together. Being with people. When I say equipping for ministry, I'm talking about going to the job and how you live on the job. I'm talking about being a husband. I'm talking about being a wife. I'm talking about being a son or a daughter or a grandparent or a driver or a citizen. I'm talking all of life. I'm not talking a ministry, something that we do within the four walls. Jesus is equipping these men. They're going to be with him. They're going to preach. They're going to have authority. And that involved life. As you read through the balance of the Gospel of Mark and the other Gospels, you'll find that they're with Jesus. They see him in day-by-day living. They get his heartbeat. He appointed 12, designating them apostles that they might be with him. It seems like the primary design by the Lord is to be with people. In marriage, in the family, in the immediate family, in the extended family. Second, relationships within the body of Christ are to result in being with people. We can't 
And Jesus knew that. We can't make disciples inside the four walls alone. In a classroom setting, that may be a small part of it, but just being with others. It's kind of like a sheep and a shepherd. The shepherd knew the sheep and the sheep knew the shepherd because they were with one another 24 hours a day. And you go back to Genesis, God designed the family. You look at Deuteronomy 6, God designed the family. He designed the body of Christ to be with others. I realize I'm speaking from growing up in a farm. And most of us do not live in farms and we'll interact a little more on living with someone next week. Most of what I learned about life, I learned by being with my brothers and dad and mom. I learned how to be a husband or not to be a husband. I learned how to be a worker. It wasn't dad setting us kids down saying, all right, guys and Bonnie, you get a 10-minute lecture on how to be a good employee or employee, rather. He just said, come on, guys, we're going to go out and we're going to work today. And lo and behold, after 18 years of that, I got the idea of you know, how you work. Just being with. There are other situations today where we're with people in the job. You ever stop and think about your job as being with other workers to let them see Christ and how to respond? School, you're with people. You're with other students. You're with teachers. Teachers with students. Impacting lives. Foster care. You invite someone to live in your home. And they see how you live, how you respond. You're with them. Jesus was with the 12. How about adoption? Invite a child into your life to become part of your family. To be with them. Jesus, as we will find in Mark 4, 5 and onward, he was with his disciples. And then he sent them out, and they came back, and then he shared. And they responded. I want you to mentally pull aside and consider how the world system, how our sinful nature, and even the body of Christ works to pull families and individuals apart. Everyone has a phone. You ever sit in a restaurant and watch people doing their thing, texting probably? There might be five people there and they're all texting, but they're not together. I'm not saying it's wrong to text. That's not my point. But the world is seeking to pull us apart. The enemy is seeking to pull us from being with people. Many TVs in the home. Well, we need at least four TVs because we have four people in the living. The living. Dad wants to watch this, mom wants to watch this, son wants to watch this, and daughter wants to watch this. You're with in that sense in your same house, but you're not with. How about servo computers? You say, what's wrong with having servo computers? I'm not saying it's wrong to have servo computers, but it might pull you apart. How about just long work hours? 
And I'm not saying that's always controllable. I'm just saying think about how it might pull people apart. How about church programs for all ages? And basically that's the way it is most of the time. Pulling people apart. Schools. Not knocking schools, but again, pulling people apart. Kids go off to school. Not with mom and dad. Not knocking schools. I'm just saying, think about how it pulls us apart. How about job sometimes? Or teaching in Sunday school and Wednesday evenings. You know, if a church is pulling people apart into age groups continually. How about jobs which take us to other parts of the U.S.? where we are not with family. We say, you got to earn money. Well, maybe do with less and be closer to family to be with. How about sports? <clears throat> Pull us apart. You know, we can go and watch a game, but we're still not with because kids out in the field are watching. I'm not knocking sports. I'm just saying, think about how much is pulling us apart. How about music? What do you mean music pulling us apart? I walk around the house with your little thing on listening and someone else has something on, they're listening and someone else has the radio on. I'm not knocking music. I'm just saying think about how the world, Satan and her own sinful nature seeks to pull us apart. Jesus called 12 to be with him. He lived with them three years, almost three years. They got his heartbeat. They got his life. They understood his thinking at least to some extent. And this is in relation to family. How much time is the average family together? How much time does the average family spend relating to one another each week? Just stop and think. Because the way we impact is to be with the body of Christ in some way, shape, or form being with one another. I'm not talking as we are on a Sunday morning, but in other contexts, just being with others. The body of Christ at times is very guilty of denying the with and training and equipping for ministry. I'll give you a couple examples. Pastor, I might spend hours alone preparing a sermon. Maybe I need to spend time with others in preparing to be with. We send someone off to school to get training to be a pastor. What if that same person spent five years with a pastor living in his home and if he's married, living making something out so that they're with each other day in and day out. So he can say, well, that's the way Pastor Dan responded to his wife in this circumstance. That's the way Ruth Ann responded to Pastor Dan in this circumstance. This is how Pastor Dan does when he's tired and grumpy, just observing life. Or another example, Sunday school teacher may teach one hour a week, trying to figure out if that's feasible, how teachers might spend time with a student and their families. To be with, to pick up life. 
we can have ministry inside four walls. But how about figuring out how to have ministry in daily life? We come, we may teach, we may worship together, all fine and good. How about ministry in daily life? Not sure what that would look like. Age group activities, we may have a lot of age group activities. Put one age group here, one age group here, another age group somewhere else. But I think at time it's important for all ages to be together. Meetings to train leaders and teachers, they may have their place. But how about one just working with another? In actual life. In actual ministry. I'm the conviction that as I study scripture... That being with others is vital, whatever form it takes. And the enemy, Satan, the world system, and our own sinful nature will do everything in their power to pull us apart. And that's been true since the beginning of time. Cultures change, but still seek to pull us apart. See, Christ called 12 designating them apostles, that they might be with him. And then later on, he sends them out. And we'll discuss that as we go through Mark. But he, they were with him. And then, as I said, later on, he sent them out. He called the body of Christ as a body to be with one another in whatever form that takes. Because a body is with the body. My hand's with the arm. My heart's with the rest of my body, you know. And influence, they influence one another. Must be a reason why we're called the body of Christ. Not the organization of Christ. Or the institution of Christ. But a body. What must take place if sought in a shaker is to make food tasty? Get out of the shaker and be with the food. What must take place if oil on a can is to be effective in an engine? Get out of the can into the engine to be with the engine. What must take place if hairspray in a can is to hold my wife's hair? Get out of the can onto her hair and be with her hair. What must take place if ketchup in a bottle is to make my hamburger tasty? It needs to get out of the bottle onto the hamburger and be with the hamburger. What must take place if a child is to mature into a godly adult? Being with someone more mature. What must take place if a young man is to mature into a Christ-like husband? Being with some man that is being or seeking to be a godly husband. What must take place if a new believer in Christ is to learn how to live in dependency upon Christ in daily life? Just being with. others. Jesus appointed or made 12. Started something new, created something different. Designating them, naming them as apostles that they might be with him and then he might send them out to preach and to have authority over demons. Really want you to think about the whole issue of being with others. 
What that may look like in your life, I can't say. But think about the importance of being with. And how the world, our own sinful nature, and Satan will pull us apart. I spent three years in a Bible, co- or Bible school. I spent a year in a Bible college. I earned my master's degree in seminary. All of that was classroom setting. I had the privilege of working with a na- man by the name of Nolan Roach for about a year while Ruth Ann and I were finishing up training in Chattanooga. He taught me so much as I was with him about life, about ministry. The classroom gave me a lot of head knowledge. Being with another godly man taught me how to live as a shepherd as a pastor, and just caring for people. You'll never see his name in a book. You'll never, he'll never be recognized for some great accomplishment. But I was with him. He taught me how to live. My mom and dad taught me so much about life just by being with them. Let's pray together. Mm-hmm.